Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with Your Next Dublin, the new home of the Irish Stock Exchange. Hello and welcome to Inside Business, a podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Laura Slattery and later I'll be talking to Emer Downing, an Irish teacher under lockdown in Italy, about how her life and work has changed since the country's coronavirus quarantine. But first, my colleagues Joe Brennan and Mark Paul are here to discuss the evolving economic fallout from the virus in a week that began with Black Monday on the stock markets and was followed by a wave of event cancellations, including the St. Patrick's Day parades. Joe, I'm going to come to you first. Um, This is a very fast-moving story, of course, but um, just looking at the financial side right at the moment, I mentioned Black Monday there, and we'll talk about that in a second, but but today the Bank of England has made an emergency uh, cut in interest rates to cope with their crisis. I mean, what does that move tell us? Yeah, look, we're seeing major banks uh, across the globe beginning to take action to uh, try and kind of ease uh, monetary terms, uh, to try and help the economy as it's becoming increasingly clear, or certainly the fear is there, that we're heading towards a a global recession as a result of this. Now, global recession is anything below 2.5% growth, uh, according to the, the IMF. Um, but anyway, that's what we're seeing uh, central banks doing that. Now, the Bank of England has come after the Fed. The Fed last week cut um, its main interest rate by 0.5% uh, in an emergency cut. It was the first such cut it that took place in the US um, since uh, 2008, the first emergency cut in, in, in the US since 2008, since the financial crisis there. And there's an expectation that they'll move further. Bank of England has come out this morning. Mark Carney, in one of his last kind of moves before he steps down from the Bank of England, has also cut by half a point. Um, and he's also, more importantly, he's kind of offered uh, cheap funding uh, to banks to be able to to, to release funding to, to SMEs. And has also gotten rid of a a capital requirement uh, for, for, for banks. So banks have to hold capital for a rainy day. Uh, they call it a, a counter-cyclical capital buffer. Uh, that's probably more significant than the, the rate cut itself. Um, and also we've seen a kind of a coordinated approach from the in the UK because we have the, the, the new UK Chancellor, uh, Rishi Sunak, um, having in the last hour or so um, released a, a, his first budget and it includes a 30 million um, sterling stimulus package. And the, the aim with that is to try and kind of, um, it will also involve increased borrowing. The aim of that is to to, to uh, provide more additional funding to the NHS, a loan guarantee scheme, and also provide funds, you know, for sick pay and, and for those who uh, would self isolate as the uh, as the, the virus continues to spread. And these are very strange days. If you're delivering your your first budget, um, a lot of pressure on, a lot of eyes on, on Sunak today. Eyes now turning to Christine Lagarde. Yeah, so Christine Lagarde, um, there were reports out this morning that she was on a call on Tuesday evening and uh, she was saying on that that uh, the, the, the risk that Europe face is a scenario that uh, will remind many people of the 2008 great financial crisis. And you'll recall that uh, Lagarde herself was the Minister for Finance and the head of the Eurogroup at the time of the 2008 financial crisis. Um, so she's obviously uh, been one of the kind of key figures uh, at that time. Now, she did indicate in that call that uh, the, the ECB, when it meets tomorrow, uh, will provide super cheap funding um, 
but there's very little detail around that. There's an expectation that they'll cut the uh, the, the deposit rate, which is already a, in negative territory at uh, minus uh, 0.5% by another 10 basis points. Or, um, the problem with that is that you have banks um, with money, with surplus liquidity in the ECB, uh, basically being charged by the ECB to keep their money there, mm. uh, which is squeezing their own margins. Maybe this will give additional pressure to banks to, to, to lend um, out into the wider economy. The problem there is banks may be willing to lend, but if people are not spending, staying indoors, it could take a long time before the benefit of that, of that could be actually felt. And we still, of course, don't actually know the extent of this crisis. This is uh, still happening yeah, I mean, look, economists are only beginning to kind of get a, you know, to, to, to try and work out what it may mean. You know, they're trying to work out when this may peak. They're looking at what's happened in China, uh, in, in, in South Korea, and they're trying to model off that. Off that, We're seeing in China um, the beginnings of a ramp up of, of, of manufacturing activity there um, following the literal uh, lockdown of huge swathes of that country. So that's only beginning to kind of come back. I think it's still 25% capacity in Wuhan uh, in terms of the, the, the manufacturing that's going on And that on was there. the centre of, of the That was the, the centre of, yeah, yeah. So economists are only beginning to get a handle uh, or beginning to assess what the, the ramifications could be. I think there was a view... A few weeks ago, that this was very much contained to China. That's what we saw, you know, huge drops in the in the in the Chinese stock market between uh, the explosion of cases in 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 January to the end of February, having very little effect on on other stock markets. It's only since kind of like the twenty first of of February that we've seen a real fall off in global markets, where it's actually spread to other countries. Italy, obviously, being the, the, the country outside of China that's seen the, the most significant uh, numbers of people, and that has really spooked people. So tell us exactly, I mean, what happened on Monday it was a very dramatic plunge of uh, more than 7% on European markets. Italy was down more than that. Dublin was down about 6%. And Wall Street was, you know, so volatile that it triggered the, the break mechanism for, for 15 minutes, is it? I think that they were they suspended trading in order to cope with that 7% fall that they had there as soon as the markets opened. But, but why was Monday in particular so bad? Um, two things. There were a lot of, of headlines over the weekend about the uh, contagion of uh, COVID-19. And also we saw um, a huge drop, a 30% drop in the price of oil uh, amid a spat between or a price war between uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia as they uh, disagreed before the weekend on measures to or planned measures to cut production. Of oil, so both of those. The problem there is natural demand for oil has been falling quite dramatically as people's expectations for a slowdown of the economy is taking place, and then you have um, uh, both sides now rushing to kind of flood the markets with with cheap oil, tit for tat kind of uh, activities between both sides. And sentiment hasn't exactly been brilliant since then, it has to be said. Um, Mark, um, the economic impact in, in Ireland has been felt most immediately in the tourism hospitality sectors. Uh, you, you wrote last Friday that you thought the St. Patrick's Day Festival looked, looked utterly doomed and on, on a Monday the sort of the inevitable happened. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. So you think the government obviously made the right decision or the only decision that they could make? 
Yeah, I, I mean, well, they made a decision that just looked utterly inevitable. I mean, I mean, you know, Ireland couldn't uh, uh, exactly stand there and have a, an international festival with 500,000 visitors, um, and, you know, over 100,000 of which would have come from abroad, from all sorts of countries, roaming about the place in pubs and restaurants, and incredibly go into, you know, European Union discussions on how to um, um, fight the virus. Ireland would have just looked absolutely ridiculous when France had banned all gatherings over a thousand people. Germany today um, banned all gatherings over a thousand people. And for Ireland to go ahead with basically a week-long um, drinking session, um, mm. which is the St. Patrick's Festival, uh, it would have just looked ridiculous. The, the, the Irish tourism industry is now probably facing the biggest challenge that it's faced, um, probably in my lifetime, I would say. Um, the last comparable year uh, to this is 2001 when we had the foot and mouth crisis um, and we also had 9-11 2001 the foot and mouth crisis came early in the year mm. and, and 9-11 then came September uh, yeah, yeah right at the end of the tourist season it was the worst year that Irish tourism uh, had, had faced in, in, in decades until then this will be it looks like it could be much much worse and um, the effects go much deeper um, uh, you know it, it affects the tourism industry in so many different ways and in so many at so many different levels like if you look at if you break tourism which isn't really an industry it's sort of an activity economically a collection of different industries but if you break it down into its constituent parts and look at how COVID-19 affects it I mean uh, people have to travel to get here so the aviation industry I mean the aviation industry is going to be on its knees um, um, this year and um, because of flight cancellations and then you look at the impact um, within the country at different parts of the hospitality industry so restaurants face particular um, difficulties because companies have cancelled all sorts of meetings and um, um, uh, uh, anything like that any sort of, 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 of corporate entertainment has been culled now, most restaurants in city centres in Dublin, um, um, uh, during the week especially, about 80% of their bookings are corporate bookings. And that's just going to fall away to nothing. I mean, you, look, you see a, a, a very, very well-known restaurant like One Pico uh, in Dublin city centre uh, on Tuesday evening closed completely because they had zero bookings. Um, hotels then face very, very uh, uh, particular uh, and idiosyncratic challenges as well um, because... Um, and hotels are, you know, if you look at Delata, for example, um, the, the, the stock market listed company is the biggest hotel group in, in, in the country. Its share price is off by about 45% since the start of the year. Um, so that, that shows, you know, what, what financial markets see the impact on hotels. But it, it's, hotels face particular challenges because they have so much fixed costs. Um, like the, the cost of running a hotel is in constructing and building the bedrooms. And after that, it's all about reaping the cash over overcoming years. Um, and so, so hotels face enormous challenges. Then you have, um, uh, uh, specifically in relation um, to the United States, we know that American tourists, once any sort of a crisis happens, American tourists climb back underneath their duvets and they never go anywhere. Yeah. Um, um, nine, after 9-11, um, American visitors to Ireland dropped by a fifth overnight. Um, and that's a huge number. Um, and American tourism had been lined up by the Irish tourism authorities this year um, to, to be the big replacer for Brexit. I mean, it was only uh, six weeks ago on this podcast, Mark, that we had a conversation about the impact of, of Brexit on Irish tourism, and, and, and of course, we noted then as well that you know America was was hoped um, that there would be, I think, four percent rise in in visitors from from North America, the US and Canada this year, and that's obviously not going to happen. No, now. And, and 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 you know, a lot depends on how uh, the COVID nineteen crisis unfolds in the United States itself. I mean, I mean, there are a lot of questions being raised over the handling of it by the Trump administration. What if the United States, at a proportional level, turns into Italy over coming weeks or, or, or months, uh, or it becomes even even half that? Of, of that scale in the United States, um, American tourists will fly nowhere. Chinese tourists make up 10% of the global tourism market. Now, only about 
one or two percent here, um, but ten percent of the global market, they're not flying anywhere. Um, so uh, there are there there are difficulties for the tourism industry at all levels, and it just goes to show how economically elastic this industry is. Because I mean, you look at a restaurant like One Pico, right, uh, and 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 closing completely closing on, on a Tuesday evening because they have no bookings, as recently as maybe four or five or six weeks ago, the big debate in the, in the restaurant industry in Dublin was, can we charge people uh, deposits for no-shows? That goes to show yeah. like, that how busy they were at that particular time and now how quiet they are. Um, it is it is the ultimate canary in the mine uh, for for hospitality and entertainment. It's the ultimate canary in the mine for for economic activity. It is it is the most elastic industry we have, economically elastic industry, and it's facing you know I would say the biggest challenge it's ever faced in Ireland. So not just cancellations, but also future bookings just drying up. Um, but it is I mean it isn't just a sort of philosophical discussion as well. I mean I think I think it's up to thirty thousand job losses that are being predicted by the, the, the restaurants association. Restaurants association has and and. And the impact on employment in the industry is actually quite hard to quantify because, um, Caden, there might be 30,000 direct job losses, but there will also be a lot of seasonal employees that would normally be taken on that just won't be taken on now um, um, because of this. Um, There's also one other specific impact as well about, um, you know, the impact on corporate travel is that um, um, Fulcha Ireland and Tourism Ireland had had, had targeted uh, an offer in recent years that targeted inbound business tourism um, for Ireland because, you know, Ireland's gotten quite expensive, right, for tourism. Mm. Um, it's, it's quite uncompetitive in a lot of ways, but business tourists spend on average three to four times what an average um, tourist spends. So Fulch Ireland has been running all over the globe trying to get international conferences to come to Ireland this year. Um, um, I mean, it's, it's it's quite remarkable, actually, the government has cancelled the St. Patrick's Day Festival, but the Department of Health this week sponsored a conference that did go ahead, the Global Alcohol Policy Conference, and um, which was opened on Monday by Simon Harris. Um, so, and that's also sponsored by the World Health Organization. So it was it was kind of in one sense it was it, it was yeah. it was a little bit um, I don't know. If, I maybe, imagine a bit like the Cheltenham Festival that might be just like the last one that got in under the wire. I mean, I saw just there in the news that uh, a conference in New York that was set up to be about the coronavirus mm, outbreak has right. been cancelled because of coronavirus. Cor- coronavirus. So we're at the stage now where, as you said, nobody wants to take either the public health risk or the reputational risk, the very idea that, you know, you might be the sort of centre of, of, of people passing on it, it, yeah, the virus. Yeah, well, well, it's sort of, I mean, it, 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 it almost looks unpatriotic at this stage to, um, to have to host any sort of an event or to have any sort of event. The question then remains for the industry is what can be done to help it? And very little can be done to help it at all. I mean, the, 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 the difficulty with the, for the industry is that demand has just melted away. That's, that's, that, that's what it is. Yeah. So, so, so what the industry is calling for, I mean, the Restaurants Association of Ireland wants um, the 9% VAT rate uh, put back in, um, at least for a fixed period of time maybe six months. They want uh, VAT deferrals so that companies have longer um, to pay their VAT. I mean, we could have an emergency, you know, mini budget to bring in some of these measures, couldn't you, we? You, you can, but but you know, for, for these measures might help alleviate some of the pain. But I mean, they're not going to bring any tourists into the country. Yeah. You, you look at staycationers and, and and Irish, you know, obviously. There's no inbound tourism or very little inbound tourism into Ireland at the moment. But Irish people aren't going abroad either. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if you look at Spain, for example, there's now a huge outbreak in Spain, Italy, these sort of destinations that Irish tourists normally go to. So will they will they stay in Ireland instead? It's 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 ne- it's never gonna make up the numbers. But one of the one of the really acute difficulties now for the tourism industry in, in timing wise is that March is 
um, probably the most important month for inbound tourism uh, in, in the entire calendar. People would think it's a summer month, but it's actually March because that's when inbound tour operators from the United States and elsewhere, they firm up their bookings for the year. They have visibility on how many summer bookings they have and they finalise with Irish hotels, with Irish attractions um, and, and, and with Irish restaurants how many people they're going to bring on their coach tours. And they make those bookings and pay for them usually in March and April. Um, and nobody, everybody's sitting on their hands because nobody knows how this is going to unfold. So, he, so the timing could not be worse. I mean, the government, I think, has said there will be a 200 million uh, package for, for businesses affected. But of course, we don't know how that's going to be divvied out or how it's going to work because we don't yet know well, who's well, exactly it, is affected. It, 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 it's a drop in the ocean. I mean, because I'm kind of wonkish about these things, I had a look right before we got into the podcast studio at a Trinity College um, research paper on the effect of foot and mouth in 2001 on the tourism ministry. And it quantified the effect in 2001 and about 200 million now that was, um, you know, that that was 19 years ago. Um, so I don't know. Once you once you put that through inflation and all the rest of it, what what the equivalent impact will be of foot and mouth if it happened now? And this looks like it's going to be exponentially worse than foot and mouth. The effect is exponentially worse. Joe, to come to that question of, of what might happen next, and of course it's it's very hard to predict at the moment. But uh, one of the things which I think you alluded to earlier was. The risk that 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 Italy is is going to be seriously seriously damaged in its economy. I mean, its, its economy has effectively been suspended. Um, it's the most indebted economy in Europe and one yeah. of the most indebted economies in the world. Uh, and the banks themselves um, have struggled to deal with non-performing loans like no other uh, in Europe as well. And now we're talking about a government that is asking banks to defer payments, uh, to allow people to defer payments. Mortgage on, on holidays. And, exactly. And businesses mm-hmm. when you have a whole a whole economy in, in, in lockdown. Uh, so the, during the financial crisis, we would have used a, a metaphor. So on the nail now, here, it's almost inappropriate, but we, we talk about contagion risk in, in economics and that's the, the, the possibility that a, a crisis initially, a financial crisis, will spread. Yeah. Now, the one thing about it is that the stability pact, uh, the, the, the European Union rules that would kind of make uh, governments kind of rein in spending and make sure they don't run excessive deficits, all bets are off here at this stage. Um, I think even the German Chancellor, who would be kind of the, the queen of austerity across Europe and, and would hold their surplus in, in, in high esteem and would be very unwilling to, to, to spend uh, spend some of that is just a very kind of innate in the German culture. Um, and she says, you know, whatever is necessary uh, will be done in order to try and kind of bring the the, 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 the the spread of the virus and the economic impact of that under control. Again, no one has a vague idea as to what that cost will be. OK, well, we leave it there for the moment, but I'm sure we'll be coming back to the topic because, as I said, it's still a moving story and we unfortunately haven't reached the end of this. But for now, thank you very much, Joe Brennan and Mark Paul. Now, we turn to Italy, where some 60 million people across the country are subject to a government lockdown as it tries to contain its coronavirus outbreak. Cork woman Emer Downing teaches at an international primary school in the city of Bergamo in the badly hit region of Lombardy. And she joins us now on the line from there. Hello, Emer. Hi. First of all, how are you doing? Um, OK. Uh, it's been very much a strange situation we're in, but uh, trying to make the most of it. So tell me how your life has changed. Um, It's changed so much. So normally, as you said, I'm a primary teacher. I would normally be in my classroom. Um, For the last two weeks, I've been working from home. So our school has been closed and we've been delivering lessons through Google Classroom. 
that has been obviously a big change for the children. And then in the past week, so these last three days, um, they've tightened up restrictions quite a lot. And we're now not really supposed to leave our homes at all. So does that mean that you can't go out and get basic supplies or are you still allowed to do that? You are still allowed to get basic supplies. They ha- The government has issued a form, sort of an auto declaration, that uh, self-declaration that um, you're going to get to go to the supermarket or you have medical reasons or you have a specific family need. Maybe it's um, to visit somebody who's unwell or something like that. You are allowed to do that. But the main message the government is spreading, and they're spreading it very, very strongly this week through social media, is um, stay at home. Because it was at the weekend, wasn't it, where, first of all, it was in the, that region of, of Lombardy and, and, a, and a few other provinces. About 16 million people were affected, first of all. And then it was extended countrywide, as I said. But but it did come as a surprise to you when they, they announced those quarantine uh, restrictions at the weekend. Not really. I think uh, I expected that seeing as the number of cases and number of deaths is growing every day and really exponentially, that it, it doesn't surprise me that, that, that they've cracked down with stricter measures. Um, it might even surprise me that they didn't do it sooner. The fact that it was just in Lombardy and then they extended it doesn't surprise me hugely either. There were a lot of videos going around of people who were not in this region, who were in the south of Italy, who really felt that I'm young, I'm far away from the north, it's not going to affect me, so I'm going to just get on with my everyday life and ignore any any advice I'm getting. So I think the government felt they really needed to do something um, to crack down on that. Another huge turning point was when they first announced the measures for the north of Italy and the 14 other provinces, um, they're all in the north. The information was leaked by some of the Italian newspapers before the government had officially signed it. And people started to panic and many, many people from the south of Italy started crowding on trains, running through the Milan Central Station, trying to get back to the south of Italy before these stronger um, restrictions came into place. So I think they were trying to prevent that sort of thing happening. So they felt if they if they made a countrywide, it, it might prevent people from doing silly things like this. And are people kind of, are they observing the new rules? Are they listening to police when when they come along and and, uh, tell them to go home? How do you feel they Um, are complying? I don't know because I haven't been out to see. So I don't know. I do know that um, we had a little debate um, amongst our school staff over what exactly it means for us if we're allowed to go for a run or go for a cycle. Um, Obviously, for mental health reasons, you, you need to get out as well and we weren't sure if we're allowed to or not um two of my colleagues went for a run together and they got about two minutes down the road and the police told them turn around go back home we could find you okay yeah now, i don't know if this is because they were in a group of two if they were individually um running would it have made a difference but uh we're, we're just not sure what exactly it means yeah i mean it's such a huge dramatic change i mean What's the city like um, normally, you know, before this crisis? It's it's maybe somewhere a lot of people, Irish people have, have gone because because Ryanair fly there. But how would you describe life in, in, in the city before this crisis? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a bustling city normally. Um, OK, in winter, there aren't as many tourists, but in the summer, loads of people come. Um, like you say, Ryanair fly here. So it's quite often the stop off place for people on the way to the likes of Lake Garda. 
And yeah, there are normally tons of tourists around. Um, there's a beautiful um, medieval city uh, in Bergamo, which lots and lots of tourists go to. And up there, it's mostly there, there isn't a normal supermarket. It's mostly just tourist shops and things like that. So it is a very tourist orientated region. So there's obviously a lot of people worried as well as about their health, um, about their future livelihoods. Absolutely. I think um, I'm quite lucky that I can continue to work from home, but other people are not so lucky. Lots of people have been taking stances. So um, with bars and restaurants, they're still allowed, even with these stricter measures, to stay open from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m., which is kind of sending um, a contradictory message to what they're telling us to stay at home. But um, a lot of business owners have decided now to close their restaurants, close their bars and just say, look, stay at home. We are closing until this crisis is over. Better safe than sorry kind of approach. Exactly. And you can imagine that's a really risky thing and a brave thing to do because they don't have a a livelihood without that. Yeah, Because it is, I presume, very difficult to sort of measure a distance of of one metre apart. I think that was one of the guidelines at first. But you know, it's very hard to 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 adhere to that if you're in a in a Absolutely. social setting. Yeah. Last week, I went to meet one of my colleagues in a cafe, and we got closer to look at the same computer. And then one of the ladies who was working there came over and said, oh, "Sorry, I have to ask you to move apart." And we were saying, "Oh, yeah, it's it's you know quite easy that you would forget it for a moment sometimes." So now, tell me a little bit about um, more about um, teaching through Google Classroom. That's not something I'm familiar with. How, how does that work, and you know how how are the kids responding to that? Yeah, so it, like I said, it had been a big change for us in our class level. So I'm teaching the equivalent of third class. I'm teaching eight year olds, and we hadn't used Google Classroom before. We had been using um, the Google Suite app, so for education like slides and docs. So they're familiar with some things, but they hadn't ever been receiving all of their things through Google Classroom. So just getting the idea of you know, um, receiving your teachers uh, and lots of different teachers, the PE teacher, the music teacher, the Italian teacher and us, um, they're receiving all of these different messages and different assignments. And then they have to organize their time, which, of course, for an eight year old is monumental. So Mm -hmm. uh, the first few days were quite tricky. We needed to help out a lot with parents and with children who were a bit lost. I had about 400 emails, I'd say, the first day. It was it was really, really full on. And we started on the second day doing Google Meets. So Google Meet is kind of like a Skype call for several people. So we have class meets twice a day, and that's definitely helping so that I can share my screen. I can explain the activities to the children. And also just for social contact more than anything, they get to see each other's faces. We get to have a little chat about what they're up to. And, you know, it's just nice for them. If you include that we had midterm before this crisis, they've been away from their friends now for three and a half weeks. It's a long time. And are children of that age, are they are they anxious or, or, or maybe are they taking it in their stride, perhaps even more than, than adults? I feel like the impression I'm getting is that they're not hugely anxious about this, but they're more affected by the fact that they can't see their friends and that they can't do the things they normally do. I think that to them is more immediate than the bigger picture and, and the, the fear that might that adults are feeling. You can imagine that that's what's affecting them and will continue to affect them. I mean, as it stands, 
the restrictions are due to run until April 3rd, I think. But is, is there confidence that they will be lifted that, at that point? How do people feel about how the outbreak is, is being handled now? I think the general feeling is take it as it comes and see how things go. The fact that it's gone on till April 3rd wasn't a surprise because they'd already made some comments about um, stopping football matches and things like that until that date. So we figured schools were going to follow with that. Um, as for how the restrictions will, will continue or be lifted, we hope, uh, we just have to wait and see. I mean, so much can change in, in th- another three and a half weeks before that's over. So um, it, we really have to just see what happens. There's a kind of a real sense, I don't know if, if you've picked it up, that, you know, it, it what Italy is going through now is going to be repeated all around Europe. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just wondering, are, are your relatives concerned about Ireland as well? Yeah, of course, naturally. I mean, it does seem to be following a similar pattern and it, that's being said by the politicians. But um, I mean, I'm sure people can learn from things that have happened here in Italy and potentially make moves to to put in restrictions before it gets that far. Yeah. Now, as I say, it's very difficult to make plans at the moment, but I understand that, that you are due to have a very special event in May. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I'm supposed to be getting married in May, but um, we're we'll just wait and see now until the end of April before we start thinking about um, what's going to happen. We're hoping that everything will go ahead in May as, as always, as it should be, but we just have to wait and see. Okay, well, it's a very concerning time and I really hope it all works out for you, Emer. Um, but for now, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. That's all for this week's Inside Business. My thanks again to Emer Downing, Joe Brennan and Mark Paul. This podcast was produced by Suzanne Brennan and our sound engineer was JJ Vernon. You can get the latest business news straight to your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email on irishtimes.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. We'll be back next Wednesday. But until then, thanks for listening.